Welcome back to the Rab Mountain People podcast with me, your host, Andy Cave. In this series, we celebrate 40 years of the brand Rab and chat with key people behind the scenes. Here is a glimpse of what's coming up. I mean, I grew up with uh, Mont Blanc and old uh, Eguinoir in front of me. And uh, I mean, my big dream since I was born was to be a mountain guy, to also manage to climb uh, and one day be on the top of the mountain. It was quite crystal clear for me. I want to be a mountain guy. There is nothing else that I want to do. Basically, it was my curiosity to make better product for myself. I'm still, you know, in the design, you will never stop on learning. You learn every single day, like in the mountain. Mistake is important in life, but if I want to come with something new, I need to maybe try. Then I fail, then I can learn something from this failure. Then I can readjust, and then finally I come with something new. I mean, mistake in a good way, it can lead to innovation. In this episode, I chat with Giacomo Buffacci, a man raised in Cormier, Italy, beneath Mont Blanc. Giacomo started skiing with his father at a very young age and dreamed of becoming a mountain guide. Giacomo gives great insight into the life of a mountain guide and his adventures climbing and skiing around the world. Giacomo is now head of design at RAB and we get a rare glimpse into the mind of a talented designer. I ask him, why is it that Italians are always so well dressed? And what does he think of British food? And what does he remember of his first 4,000 metre peak with his father? This is a fascinating episode. Jacko, great to see you. Explain to me, what is your job exactly here? You mean my dream job? Your dream job? My dream job. Uh, actually, I'm a head of design for Rab and Loval Pine. I lead the design team uh, and be sure to still deliver super high quality product like has been the last 40 years since Rob started. Uh, for this, yeah, it's a dream, dream job. Fantastic. So thinking back to 40 years ago, were you climbing and skiing then? Yeah, I'm uh, almost 44. Started skiing when I was three, climbing as well. For this, um, yes, part of uh, outdoor has been my life. And now. you didn't have to travel very far to go skiing, did you? No. I come from Courmayeur best uh, playground in the world. Uh, you don't need to do nothing more than enjoy what the nature can offer you. For this, uh, my basic day was skiing, climbing, biking around the valley and play with my friends. It's been fantastic. Amazing. So from the school playground, what could you see? I mean, uh, I grew up with uh, Mont Blanc and all the uh, Eguinoir in front of me and uh, I mean my big dream since I was small it was to be a mountain guy to also manage to climb uh, and one day be on the top of the mountain and I still remember that uh, all the time with all my friends we went in front of the door of some uh, mountain guide when they preparing and packing the stuff you know just to look what they do and uh, dream about one day maybe it will be our turn amazing so this, uh, it was quite fun and were your family, everybody into the outdoors? Were they from Cormier? Did they move to Cormier for work? Or what's the family they story? They moved to, for, uh, to Cormier for work, but they are really in the outdoor uh, activity. 
My dad is a super good skier. He used to be a super good skier. I'm much better now. I always kill him with him, but uh, we are really competitive, both of us, for this uh, super good skier. Uh, been in the mountain all his life, climbing as well. Thanks to him that I've become a mountain guide, and thanks to him that I've been super passionate about the outdoor. Uh, I was working a lot for this. Also, my mom has been a big part of my journey as well because she needed to take care of uh, my brother and me. For this, uh, when my daddy was away, she was the one to maybe take us for some, maybe just walk to some cabin or basic stuff. But yes, we've been outdoor all the time. And let's, let's be honest that everybody, well, some people think of Mont Blanc like being in France, but we all know that the really the best bit of Mont Blanc, Monte Bianco, yeah. it's, it's in Italy, the steeper bit, all the famous al big alpine routes, the Brembe Face, Divine Providence, for any Pillar, all this, yeah. it's Pille on the Santa. Italian side, yeah. I mean, the south face of uh, Mont Blanc has been compared to the Himalaya. I mean, some of the routes, you know, just the approach is really complicated, it's really long, uh, it's really wild, plus the difficulty is really, really high. But it's a lot of the last problem to solve in the Alps and being around Courmayeur. Uh, then Chamonix, of course, is much bigger, is much more famous. And it took a little bit all the glory from the massive. But uh, I say that if you have to go to climb to Mont Blanc, choose the right side, Italy, good coffee, good mountain. <laughs> People are nicer. Absolutely. I know a lot of mountain guides that um, when they're organizing a ski tour, they always joke that, you know, look, as long as we have lots and lots of nights in the Italian huts, it will be great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, because the food, the wine, yeah. the grappa. Yeah. I mean, you can still uh, get a three meal course when you are in the Italian cabins. It's uh, quite uh, crazy, especially if you think that all the food is delivered with the helicopter. I mean, it's quite hard to get fresh food in the cabin, doesn't matter where. For this, I mean, uh, this has been one of the strengths, I think, for the Italian mountain hut, that they still give a good quality food and atmosphere is really friendly. So uh, these, it's really nice. Yeah, the, the, the friendliness and the food, it, it's a big part of the journey in the mountains, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. And you, I believe, did your first 4,000 meter peak, you were pretty young with yeah. your father. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Where did you go and what did it feel like? I was quite a nice memory. I was uh, 13. I was down Dijon in the summer. And I still remember at the time I was still uh, skiing in the ski club for this every summer. Things you remember up on the Bronne was the summer ski. For this, we used to train every summer up and down between the uh, slalom. Quite, quite yeah. high altitude. Yeah, yeah it was uh, 3,500 meters on the top of Elbronner. And one day my dad, he said, okay, but you know what? Tomorrow, if you want, I, you can stay away from training on ski and we go up to the Dent du Gion. At the time I was already really, you know, willing for climb. And, uh, and then I remember we take the same cable car with all my friends, but they went skiing. And I was so proud, I think I was, one meter taller, you know, really yeah. feel with my eyes and uh, cool. has been amazing. Yeah. One of the best uh, moments, I think. Yeah. Especially when you are there and you and stand course, with your dad and you see Courmayeur. Amazing. Yeah. And you, yeah. and I mean, it's for people listening, 
who don't know, I mean, Don de Gionde, it's, it's, it's a proper peak. It's like a rock yeah, spire. It's the, it the, the, the giant's tooth. Yeah. It's an impressive 4,000 meter peak. So to do that as your first one, but of course you would have been acclimatized because you've been skiing up you know, high as well. And right? already on the rock climbing, it was some part, but uh, yeah, it was amazing. So, I mean, that's led you, I mean, eventually you becoming a mountain guide. So was this something you always dreamed of doing? And yeah. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it was quite crystal clear for me. I want to be a mountain guide. There is nothing else that I want to do. Um, my mom had also a sketch, a drawing, sorry, at home that I uh, made when I was born with me with the mountain guide costume for the 15th of August, for the day of the mountain guide. So this has been really inside me all my life. Uh, yeah, it was a vocation. Let's just, you can say in English. Yeah, vocation. Vocation. Yeah. To be there for this, um, yeah, I start quite early. Focus um, to what, do this. What is the what's the best bit of being a mountain guide? Would you say? I think mountain guide is one part, but I think the best was leaving the mountain every single day. Uh, I think if I can, you are a mountain guide, of course. you can, I mean, some, a lot of people say, okay, wow, it's so nice. You are in the mountain every single day. It is, but maybe a lot of people, they don't understand the responsibility that you have when you are in the mountain with them. Sure. You, they don't really understand that the, what you enjoy is not the same because they enjoy, let's say the powder on skiing and you are totally, okay, avalanche here, wrist there, crevasse there, you know, you don't even lock, uh, close your ski boots because you are totally in another. Yeah, I mean, I always think that um, you are so busy looking after other people. Yes. Sometimes you, you've got to remember to look after yourself. Yeah, I mean, exactly. for me, the example would be uh, not drinking enough water. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I haven't drunk any water. Yeah. Then sometimes I give it to my clients. Exactly. You uh, take care of the other one and you forget about yourself. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, Mountain God has been amazing. You met a lot of people. You have some customer to reach some goals. And this, I think, is really nice when you take someone that is really passionate about the mountain. In one way, you can see you many years before when you had the same uh, passion, love for this. You can really see that maybe you start with a small climb and then harder and harder than you did the first peak. But this, for me, my biggest things to be a guide, it was really to manage to help the customer to reach some goals and uh, to enjoy. Yeah. And I know that you also um, did some work with mountain guides in Peru yeah. and Bolivia, yeah. helping them. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about those two projects. Uh, when I was working in Alster Valley, uh, in the region, the mountain rescue is uh, made by the mountain guides. Not all of them is a limited uh, uh, number of mountain guides. I think the team right now is only 40 mountain guides. They cover actually a big part of the hubs yeah. because Aosta Valley, Aosta, where is the mountain base, you have uh, from Mont Blanc to Matteron to Monte Rosa, Gran Paradiso, you cover some of the biggest uh, massive in the hubs. For this, is really active base. There is more than 3,000 rescue per year. For this, it's really, really high uh, intense activity for the rescue team there. And I was uh, instructor for the mountain rescue. Okay. For this, uh, 
with some uh, other two instructors, Eddie Grange and Lucio Trucco. We decided, because uh, Eddie had some contact, uh, contact sorry, with Bolivia, uh, to form the first mountain race in South America. Wow. For this, we went there as a volunteer and we just uh, share our knowledge and we spent two summers there. We went there for one month each summer and worked with them, super professional team. They don't have helicopter for this. It's a really old school rescue uh, in a huge mountain because we talk about mountain that almost touched 7,000 meters. Yeah. But this has been an amazing experience and it's really nice also to share passion with someone else and also to see rescue guy mostly they do everything because they want to help people it's sure. really big giving this was really nice for me it was yeah. a huge opportunity also to meet another culture yeah. another way how to climb another way how to approach the mountain it was Amazing. really yeah. interesting and parallel of that peru has been a big part of my mountain experience i've been there According to my mom, too many times. Okay. <laughs> According to me, never enough. Uh, you know, there is a lot of climbers that maybe they are the Himalayan. Sure. I'm much more Peruvian or South America. I've been there many times and uh, then I started working with an association there as a volunteer as well, uh, close Don Bosco. And they offer the chance to the most poor people in some of the villages to have an education because the family, they don't have money to sure. let them go to school or to, to do anything. They need to work when they're this age. Yeah. Small, yeah. Yeah. For this, uh, they have several different schools. And one, based in Huaraz, is where they take some young people and uh, teach them and educate them to become a mountain guide. Like this, then they can take clients up on the mountain. Yeah. But this I went there, stayed with the guys, and uh, spent time and uh, been the mountain. Amazing. So yeah, this amazing has been really, really nice. Yeah, yeah, that must be yeah, such a great feeling. And so are they on a journey to maybe become like mountain guides, the same qualification? Yeah, yeah they are uh, wow. exactly like us. Uh, unfortunately, they struggle with ski because there is no ski in Peru. Sure. Uh, but wow. they got the same qualification. Yeah. Is a URGM yeah. mountain guide. Yeah. Event. Amazing. Yeah, and so now you're a designer. Of course, yeah. you still have a license as a mountain guide. You have all that knowledge and experience of different mountain settings, yeah. understanding what your customers, uh, you know, the clothing, the rucksack. So I guess you're really super well qualified, but it's, it's, it's not maybe normal for people to stop becoming a mountain guide and to become a designer. Yeah. How did you make that? transition yeah. did you have some design experience before or uh, basically everything started I been super lucky uh, uh, when I was start guiding and uh, also during my guiding education I used to ski a lot uh, I was professional skier in free ride and uh, one of my sponsor uh, the same for you, send yeah. some prototype, yeah. can you test, can you work, can you get some feedback? And then I start to give feedback and to be a little bit more constructive. And basically, this is a little bit me. I'm much more a doer than a talker. For this thing, then I get a little bit, okay, if I won't really change stuff, 
I think it was a, it was quite fun because I don't know if it was a kind of misunderstanding. They don't understand what I need or I'm not good to tell. Yeah. But this is okay, boom. I will do it. Like this, they will understand. So, so you, this, will, you start, will make it to start. I will stuff. start yeah. really sitting with them and then this led me to the study and everything. But uh, basically it was my curiosity to make better product for myself, for my need. And then I start guiding and then say, okay, but my clients compare this to that. And then I say, oh my God, why we should take this experience, this feedback. But this actually was uh, in one way, I had a kind of easy life to become where I am now because the experience, because I think this is what is really important. And uh, I'm so proud to work in RAB because if I see the team in the office, everyone is a climber. But we talk a climber, not uh, the climb 6B, 6C someone with a full-time job. How you can do this? Sure. It's crazy. Everyone's everyone, pretty, a lot of obsessed people. Yes, or mountaineering. I mean, trail runner, we leave the brand. Yeah. I think a lot of brand talk about leaving the brand, but it's more chit chat. Yes. Yeah. We don't talk about leaving the brand, but we leave the brand. Sure. Uh, I mean, Tim, my, my boss, we just took me, we went climbing multi pitch for the weekend and talk uh, with the people on the same belay. Oh, nice jacket. What do you think about this and that? For this, I've been spoiled. I mean, that's a really interesting. So you, you, you've got this experience from that world and uh, the joy of working here. So I know you live in, you, sometimes you're in Stockholm yeah. with your family. Yeah. You're from Italy. Yeah. You're in the UK. So you have this experience of like the different uh, climbing environments, yeah. maybe what people like to wear or use in the mountains, the different climate. Yeah. You know, obviously what you need in the Scottish winter, maybe we need to go to Ben Nevis this winter. Yeah, you should what take you me. need there to the Alps on it, you know, so what have you, you know, what do people need? What are those different things in the different markets? And I guess the bigger question is, how do you design for yeah. these different, uh, not just different seasons, but different seasons in different places? Yeah. Must be a challenge. Challenge, a nightmare, I would say. Okay. The challenge is easier. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, everyone have different needs. Uh, you can talk with many people um, and you get so many different answers. Uh, there is a culture differentiation for this. I mean, the way how UK people approach the mountain is so different from the Nordic, like Sweden or Norwegian. For this, we need to guarantee to have a wide, wide sorry, uh, range of product to deliver something for every single country or every single need. Um, for this, I mean, sometimes you can see we have a really big uh, range, but when you narrow down, we always keep in, in mind also with the coloring, okay, this maybe will be more focus for the south of uh, Europe. This, we need this because it's a request from the uh, UK market. We need to listen to the feedback from uh, Scandinavia because they are much more clean, much more toned down product or much more warm products as well. For this, I think the process is really complex. We work really tight with the country manager. 
we have a process where we involve country manager in an early stage on the range plan that is they can give feedback so this I mean hopefully we feel confident when we have uh, when we will launch the new collection that everyone can get something that they need so they have an important job of really yes. tuning into absolutely what the skiers the walkers the the climbers yeah, yeah absolutely really interesting plus I think the knowledge that we have inside here and with four years of experience you already yeah. start to know and this is also something that uh, I'm proud to work for Rob is that the DNA for Rob is really strong I mean uh, we looking for guarantee really quality and super duper product for our customer uh, for this we have uh, a good balance between innovation, technology and design expression in all our products because uh, it's quite nice. And I was going to touch on that, we talked different markets, I know that colours hmm? of the shell jacket for example, somebody in Eastern Europe or somebody in Scandinavia might want a different, Yeah. and, and I'm always amazed at the colours, who decides, okay, is there sort of like a person sat in a room somewhere who says, okay, this year, green yeah. is the color, or not? How does it work? How do you know yeah. the colors? How does it, is it some kind of mystery or? Yeah, it's a kind of challenge. And I think I'm still, you know, in the design, you will never stop on learning. You learn every single day, like in the mountain. You. You are a mountain guide, sure. you are still learning every day when yeah. you are out. And in design is the same, yeah. it's not because how huh, I'm done. Every day you learn new things and the color is something that I think no one it will never sure. manage to understand the complicity. Uh, basically, we follow trend, uh, we keep on track what they sell on the previous season. For this, let's say that we introduce a new kind of a green direction and then we see that the sales are really bad in one way it helps us to indicate that this is not a color for us for this okay let's try something else um, you know um, yeah yeah no well said and in terms of the that, that mindset of always not being complacent when you're yeah. in the mountains, mm -hmm. you've done Mont Blanc, Monte Bianco a hundred yeah. times, you still have to be careful when you're a guide. Same, um, I guess, same mindset with design. And there's a, there's a quote that you said, which I, I really like, and for me, it was like really about growth mindset. I'll read it out, and then you can tell me a little bit about your philosophy in life generally and in design. Mm -hmm. But you said, we made a lot of mistakes, my climbing friends and I, uh, we did some crazy things, but we learned from them, and we also learned a lot about ourselves. How to take responsibility, to take care and trust other people, and to dare to challenge ourselves. Yeah. Is that something that you still yeah. follow? Yeah. yeah um <laughs> about mistake and about and maybe we can skip. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave that bit. I think we've <laughs> we all been there. We can skip this because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, we don't need to talk about that. No, we're, e we're, actually, e we're experts I, now. Yes, but uh, it's so fun because we talk actually about this with the team. It would be nice one day 
to have a book where the alpinist is dead to brag yourself how good they are, they write down a book on all the mistakes and stupidities they've done. It would be so fun. Yeah. So many crazy stories. Yeah. Uh, mistake is important in life uh, because it's an indicator. Of course, depends which kind of mistake, but uh, I think no one can stand up without making mistakes. Everyone have a background, everyone have experience, and this mistake, in one way, it can help you to steer where you go. And uh, if I can see this on the design, maybe it's not a mistake, it's more like a curiosity, or uh, that you can maybe, okay, if you're not curious, and if you do everything on the same pace, you only go straight, correct? Yeah. Okay, I won't go straight. I don't want to see right and left what can offer me opportunity. I know I need to go there, I go. And I see only one way. But if I want to come with something new, I need to maybe try. Then I fail, then I can learn something from this failure. Then I can readjust and then finally I come with something new. I mean, mistake in a good way, it can lead to innovation. Most of the innovation has been a big mistake. Yeah. You try, try, you crash, you crash, and then finally you reach what you want. Uh, for this, uh, in the design, the, unfortunately, our schedule is really tight, but we need to get some space to be curious, to try something that maybe in two seasons, on three seasons, end up on, wow, this is the new technology. Why we even thought about this So before? you've got, because you, you, I know you live in like almost different time zones with your job because, yeah. you know, we, we the, the, I can see stuff in a store yeah. or online that I can buy from Rab. Yeah. Uh, but obviously you are already working or stuff is being made yeah. for the season that's coming, but you are designing way ahead. And then alongside that busy schedule, presumably you're trying to, do you try and create some space to try and do something with a new fabric or a new system or a new, something yeah. really kind of uh, revolutionary? Yeah, we are, normally we work, what we work now is two years ahead. Yeah. Uh, for this also, on these two years, you can also try maybe some uh, project on the side to find something that it can be. Uh, but what is innovation? This is the big question. I think in design, to be innovative is to come with something new that the customer doesn't ask for. Because if you ask me, it's not so much innovative. But if I come with something that you, oh my God, why I didn't think about this before? You're solving and a problem. I solve a problem. This is where we can be innovative. For this, innovative is not to launch the super duper stuff, uh, I don't know what, is just to solve small problem for our customer to be more confident or comfortable on the rush environment. I mean, if you take our playground, it's not walking on the street. Sometimes we're dealing with the storm, rain, wind. How we make people that they love to be in this environment comfortable enough to enjoy this time? So, I mean, well said. Would you like, I mean, your Velcro zips mm -hmm. on a shell? This is always an interesting one. Well, now yeah. obviously everything is pretty much zips, but zips are interesting, aren't they? Because yeah. we rely so much on them. And I remember mm -hmm. in the, uh, 
going back a long time, yeah. 1987, in the Tatras, in Polish Tatra, behind the Iron Curtain, mm. when it was the old system, on some exchange, and we're climbing on this wall in March, very, very cold, much colder than Scotland, three days, Mengizhlevitsky, uh, this route. And we had these gaiters at the time, the gaiters that were um, Yeti gaiters, they were part of the boot. Yeah. But on one bivouac, it was so cold, and I guess the, the gaiters were straight. Basically, three zips after four broke. And suddenly you're thinking, wow, shit, this is really serious. It was very cold. It was the first time I got frostnip, actually, in my, in my hands. Um, but zips, yeah. Is there any progress? Or I mean, they become lighter, but we have to be careful with zips, don't we? When we use them. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're a great thing. It makes yeah. the jacket lighter and easy to put on, but yeah. we, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, zipper, actually, is still there. There is no big innovation zipper. Same since ever. Uh, of course, you can get more waterproof. Sometimes you have a, a zipper that is more waterproof than not the fabric. So this is also why to really market a super duper zipper. Uh, that I, anyway, yeah, the zipper is 100% uh, waterproof or whatever, but then you can get leaking from the fabric. But uh, yeah, I think everything has changed. Light and durable is not really the same uh, language. Sure. You know, we always need to find a, a balance. Yeah. You want light, you can ask me in this case to have a durability. Yeah. We need to find uh, you know, so you a make, right... Uh, you need to make a choice. A choice, exactly. Give the, give the customer the choice and exactly. then explain. But um, actually it can be quite fun to come with something different than a zipper. Yeah, I was thinking like Velcro, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy as a system when you think about it, but now it's used everywhere in, yeah. like, in yeah. space with yeah. astronauts and yeah. even on like babies' nappies and so many yeah. different things and on the outdoor jacket. But I think as well, compare the zipper that you had in the Yeti Gator is so, oh, so much yeah. different. Yeah. Now yeah. they're quite smooth, sure. it's hard to break. I mean, if you see the problem where the zipper break is not on the really zipper, it's more on the hand, on the puller or the stuff pull. like this. And then you can perhaps find a way how yeah. to repair. Yeah. Um, but I mean, to break a zipper in a expedition, it can cause a bit problems. Yeah. Any, any opening and closure, yeah. it's an important part of your yeah. design yeah. process, isn't it? So where, where do you think the future of RAB the brand, you know, we're 40 years yeah. in now. So what are we, what are you kind of dreaming about, looking mm. at, any kind of hints as where we're, where things are heading? Yeah, I mean, journey of Rob is uh, amazing. I think in one way, thanks to the COVID, outdoor industry generally have grown quite a lot the last two years. And this helped new generation to approach again to the mountain, to enjoy more wildness. So this, I think, outdoor, it will uh, take a, a speed now on growing and uh, because the audience, they have grown. Yeah, more people now, spending exactly. more time outside. Exactly. Yeah. But this now, I think we will get much more requests on products yeah. or people feel, especially now with also social media, they have always voices, they want to share feedback on social media or they ask for things. I think uh, it will be quite interesting to see on the yeah. coming years. Uh, the big problem, I think, in the outdoor is more related on the society. 
everyone wants to be outdoor, everyone wants to spend time to be out and enjoy the nature, but we also have a full-time job. How we combine now uh, three weeks of vacation in one year? I mean, if you are alone, you can do three weeks of nature and outdoor. If you have a family, you need to please your wife, yeah. the kids, and then if you have a time, you can do something by sure. your own. Maybe you go one day skiing yeah. or climb with your friends. Yeah, yeah. But it's how we combine these things. Yeah. But this, I think, is also the product. It will turn out that it will be versatility is the key. Yeah. But this, I think, is we should, and this is what we already have, a uh, kind of product is more versatile, maybe less uh, specific for one activity. So you can have like a, you know, wardrobe, yeah with maybe one or two shells exactly and, but you can cover a lot exactly. of bases yeah and then there is always like uh really outdoor people that they need still to have a pure alpinism alpinism jacket a dedicated ski set absolutely but i think it would be quite interesting to see because micro adventure light and fast you know now i mean Luc Mont Blanc, when uh, we was guiding, you plan two days, really long day. Yeah. Now more and more often, the Mont Blanc they do it during the day. Yeah. I mean, I saw right now, I follow some friends yeah. guiding Courmayeur, a Guide de Diable, Traversée de Guide de Diable, super long region, climbing wow. complicated. Yeah. You do in two days. In the past, they even have a bivouac on the middle. Now they take the first cable car and they go back. Is that because people day. want to avoid the hut, the refuge? Because of COVID as well, or no? Because it's in in France. Ah, for yeah. this they don't have a good meal. Ah, that's just the yeah, yeah, yeah. I like no, I it. Kidding. I like it. Yeah, no, yeah. I think it's because yeah, the yeah. people are more fit. Yeah. Yeah. If you see now uh, people training much more, yeah, they run. A trail running growing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. until ten years ago, no one was running in Courmayeur. Uh, if you was uh, running to keep in shape for the uh, climbing, yeah. it was uh, extraterrestrial. Yeah. Now. Everyone run, then you know it's so popular. But these are things everyone is fit, and the material is so different. Yeah. I mean, I saw that now they release like a single rope, eight point seven. Yeah, amazing. We used to climb with eleven, eleven point five. For this, imagine the weight, the difference. We have a product that weight nothing. It's incredible. Like a three-layer jacket that is packable like this. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a famous outdoor store in the UK outside in Haversey. Yeah. You probably went there. And in the back room there, in the boot room, are the boots that Rab Carrington used when he made the first alpine-style ascent of Janu, huge mountain in the Himalayas, um, with, with some other Brits, Brian Hall and co. And I think one boot weighs five kilos, one of his boots. That's all you need to know. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's incredible. Imagine to do so, one step with 10 kilo. A, a, incredible, really. Uh, uh, leather boots, yeah. so obviously you keeping them dry was a challenge. Yeah. Did, I mean, so you were down in North Wales. What did you make of the British climbing scene? Obviously the traditional climbing, North Wales, mm -hmm. all the varied places, the history, um, Pete's Eats Cafe, all that. Yeah. You think, what, was there anything curious? about the British climbing scene? I mean, do they all have huge rucksacks when they're going off or what? This is quite still, you can see a big, also for hiking. Uh, first of all, uh, I mean, it was quite nice to be there to find out that I've been a lot in the peak to, yeah. to see, and you can see just the rock climb between peak and Norway is two different 
way. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's really interesting. Big backpack, a lot of gear. Yeah. But uh, I'm impressed about uh, the rock climbing, trad climbing in the UK. Has been always famous in the mountain. Uh, sure. Community, how good you are on placing protection and yeah. to do, but I mean in Mobile Massive now you can climb some trad, but you yeah. still have the belay. You can Normally, still found some something on the crag. Yeah. Here you don't find nothing. Sure. And it's quite nice to see how yeah. people they go. They, yeah, they no, know. I know. For these yeah. things, the basic even if they climb a basic route, the knowledge that they have is quite yeah. high because how to make a belay, how to place your protection. This was quite uh, nice so the, to see. Yeah, and, and, and that's a good point because like your rucksack, it can be quite heavy. Yeah. You know, uh, you're going trad climbing, let's say on Cloggy, on Snowden in Wales, might be one hour to walk, you've got all the heavy protection, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. You never quite know what the weather's gonna do in Britain, it could change quickly. Yeah. And so, you, you know, you, should I have the light jacket, this jacket? Yeah. It's a lot of decisions, but you're right, I think, Maybe where it's difficult for us from Britain when we're starting out as young mm. climbers or people that get into climbing later in life is when we go to the Alps, how do we short rope? How do we move quickly yeah. on the ridge, on yeah. Matterhorn or Monte Bianco? And then obviously glaciers, they're new for us. Um, so we, we, a lot of people struggle with that, mm. but they're very good at placing the pro yeah. and sometimes finding the way in the mountain. Yeah. But this is also in the Alps, uh, you see the same reality. Uh, Mont Blanc, I mean, the mountain guide, of course, they are really good uh, on uh, classic ridge or glacier. If you see a mountain guide in Dolomites, glacier, they, they only have marmolada. Sure. They spend much more time on rock yeah. climbing. For this, they are much more ahead on climbing. Yeah. The same for you, you are much more ahead yeah, on yeah, yeah. this kind of... Then, of course, your curiosity, Yeah. He also learning to do some other stuff. and. Uh, so in, in terms of fashion, you know, I mean, there's always that joke, isn't there? You know, when the guy is, is going to buy a suit. Yeah. Savile Row in London mm. or Milan. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, um, how people dress. We always look at Italian guys. How do they, they just, they normally have a small wardrobe. They put a few things on. They just look. Yeah. How do you do that? Are you trained from a young age <laughs> to look cool? <laughs> yeah. A fashion in Italy is quite uh, it's strong, a big thing. Yeah. I remember going it's to Milan things, yeah? on yeah, the train. Everything is super well dressed. Obviously, Cormier, but it's more yeah. of a mountain vibe. Yeah. But everybody, you take uh, pride. Yeah. 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 But this is really, I think, in the culture. I mean, and then in Courmayeur, most of the people, most of the tourists come from big city in Milan and they're really, you know, what you say? Have good money for this. Look is good for them. Yeah, and, in, and, and so when you're designing, you're trying to um, obviously it's for the outdoors, but people want to yeah. look good. I mean, I think about the clothes that I use in the mountains, yeah. and I I put it on and I feel different. Like when I put on my even my red t-shirt, yeah. that's the one I climb in. Yeah. So I put it on after work. I got my friends. It's it's um, there's like a connection, isn't there? Yeah, but I think as well now people want to belong to a community. Maybe you are not uh, a dedicated climber because you work. Maybe you only climb one two times per week, and then you go for vacation once and climb. But you want to show around that you are a climber or an outdoor person. And uh, until until few years ago, 
be honest with you, all the mountaineering product, it was quite uh, boxy, boring. You will not go out for have a coffee with your uh, uh, <laughs> social pants or your jacket. Now, actually, it belongs be quite trendy to have outdoor clothes. Sure. Uh, because, I mean, if you think about how much you pay for a gorgeous shell and the work that is behind a gorgeous shell compared to any other casual brand that you pay maybe even more, but they, they give you nothing in terms of technology. Sure. And, uh, it's not so much. It's it's incredible. It's, it's yeah. the technology. Same in packs. I'm in always like packs as well. How come uh, that it's you know yeah. um, it's not more money. Yeah. No, you know. Yeah. Um, as a mountain guide, I'm also a mountain guide. When you become a family guide, mm. it changes things a little bit, doesn't it? Do you think a lot? A lot. The risks, not for everybody, yeah. but for some people. Yeah. Yeah. But how did it change for you? For me, I've changed a lot. I've changed a lot. I have to say that I was much more egoist before to have my kids. Yeah. Because I'm alone. Okay, I can have my partner with me, but I can take my risk. I can decide what I want to do. Uh, I don't have uh, someone that I need to take care in a, in a deeper or someone that is really rely on me, yeah. like a son or a daughter. Yeah. I mean. You, you know, uh, your girlfriend can live uh, even better without me. I'm yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but your son or your daughter, yeah. without a dad or a, a mom, yeah. it will be a different impact. Sure. For this, uh, when uh, I got my first daughter, Thea, I've changed quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I remember I went to Nepal, and I spent almost two months in Nepal. She was only four months. Now I can't stay away from more than one week. Yeah, you know it's uh, totally different, and plus the risk. Uh, you can be how good you want in the mountain. You can have all the experience, you know, uh, but unfortunately, you never know sure. what can happen. Yeah, and for me to have the feeling that something can happen to me, it was not uh, hard. Like if it's something happened to me, Tia, she would be alone. Sure. But this, this was for me really hard to think. To is I don't know. I felt that if something happened to me, it's not fair enough for my kids. Sure. It's the balance is yeah. is not quite right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well said. Yeah. And I don't know. It's quite complicated. It's a really it's, good it's question. Not, not easy. And you. Um, yeah. Then I mean, you can still guide. You can still do your stuff. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. But then, uh, unfortunately, I mean, uh, if you see a lot of mountain guides with fame in your kids, it's hard. It's a hard it's life. Hard. It's, it's hard. hard life, yeah. um, and it's tough on your body as well. It's tough, exactly. And then, you know, I started guiding, I was really young because I did my selection 17. Yeah. That is uh, 21, I was. So you've really? done a, a lot of miles, yes, a lot of kilometers. Exactly. And I managed to do, yeah, to reach what was my goal in my yeah. head. And then I had my family. And then, uh, yeah, what is the next take, step? And this, uh, at the time, I was already working, but more mix between guiding and uh, designing. And then uh, I got the offer, OK, it's time for you to move to the office. 
yeah. doesn't work anymore that you mix because uh, I start to have a team under me for this I need to yeah, be more there and then I say okay you know to be a mountain I, I can stop now and I can go back to the mountain but maybe I will not get the same chance when I'm 43 of course. to get a full-time job in the office. And now you can go with your family? No, I enjoy time with how, how old are your kids? Exactly, uh, 10 and 6. They're skiing already? Yeah. One is a monster, the little one, she's a pure monster. Uh, Luvali and Thea, 10. She's really good girl. Both are really good. Love skiing, love uh, climbing. Uh, super spoiled. We went to Japan to ski last two years ago, nice. before the COVID. Uh, when we are in Kurmayer, they love to be there and climbing and skiing. Yeah. We, but this, I mean, I really enjoy spending time out with them. Yeah. Do you speak um, at home? What are the? Do you speak different Italian. languages? Italian. Italian, because then they can talk uh, uh, Swedish with the mom yeah. and with school. For this, we decide to keep in Italian yeah. as a language at home. And what about tea time? Is it is it is it is it kind of like you know meatballs and potatoes? Is it more pasta the tea or time or in Sweden is dinner? Yeah. You know they yeah. eat so early. The they eat Sweden. really early. Yeah. Oh like my God! Five thirty is a dinner time. Right. You guys are just getting up. Yeah. In Italy, is a. Yeah. Not even aperitivo, you are no. still at work, you know. <laughs> uh, so you mix yo, it up with the cuisine. Yo, I love to cook. It's my big passion. Right, right. To cook uh, is amazing. And I always refer that cooking is a little bit like uh, designing. Actually, this I will say. I mean, think about a chef. Yeah. Think about a designer. Everyone have the same ingredients, correct? Yeah. You can have carrots, you can have zucchini. I can have the same Gore-Tex, I have the same fleece, but the difference is how I mix them. Yeah. You can cook one dish yeah. with the same ingredient and I can do a totally different with the same ingredient. Yeah. You can make a jacket with the same, I can yeah. make a jacket. I'm thinking this, skiing the creativity as well. is amazing. Even skiing a line, the same, no? Yeah. Skiing the yeah. powder. Yeah. You know what uh, my daughter told, uh, told me once? Yeah. Unfortunately, she got a really bad influence for the grandpa. Uh, I was skiing with some friends and then I met my daughter with my dad and my dad said, okay, Thea, tell dad how you can ski. And she was quite cool because she stand on the pole, lift the goggle and said, dad, ski is really easy. You do one turn on the right, one turn on the left. If you're tired, you go straight. Awesome. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> that's the ski. Easy. Exactly. What that's more the, you need to know? That's the ski school yeah, finished. That's the ski school. Done. The cheapest, yeah. quickest ski yeah. school ever known. Exactly. Yeah. You should market that. Yeah. Quote by. <laughs> no, it's uh, really nice. No, Brilliant. It's, Jacko, just to finish, so you're spending some time, obviously you're working with Rabsy, you're spending some time here in the UK. Um, how is the food here? Have you had fish and chips yet? I had. Uh, Oh my God, food, uh, I have to say. A bit dodgy, mm. be honest. We need to catch up on food. We need to catch up a little bit. Yeah, you can teach us a few things. You say product on, ah, it's different culture. Yeah. I mean, I have to say that I'm spoiled because I'm Italian. And uh, Italian food is a comfort food. Is this food that is super simple because it's nothing complex, but you know, we have, uh, South of Italy with the ingredients and everything that are so yeah. fresh, so good. 
for this uh, I'm, I'm being spoiled with the food and yeah. then uh, I can remember in Patagonia being in a hut and some Italians there and we we're just cooking some pasta but for them just put in a little bit of olive oil in yeah. a little bit yeah. of salt same pasta from the same packet completely yeah. different yeah 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 just yeah exactly it's more great touch. well listen it's been a real pleasure yeah. same for me to chat and uh, all the best with the role going forward and I look, thank you I look forward to seeing all the new exciting yeah. products Thanks a lot. And uh, I hope you bring me to the, the Nevis. We have a Absolutely. dinner. He's on the camera. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Good. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe, hit like, or leave comments. That would be brilliant. See you next time.